Right, so week two of a new series called Beyond 2020 Vision. Do you know Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1? I'm just reading a couple of verses here. Ephesians 1 verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Start, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Will you let me know if the scary wasp lands on my head? Okay, I thought I felt him there. Okay, good, he's gone, okay. How are we gonna do this? You're gonna put, what are you gonna do? Don't, don't come flying at me with your Bible or anything like that. Okay, so what do we get out of, what do I get out of this uh, Ephesians 1 prayer? I tell you what I get, that there is more to see than you are currently seeing. And that if you look through the eye of faith, if you ask God what he sees, if you seek that, that prophetic insight, that, that eternal supernatural perspective, then things look very different. Do I need to convince you that God sees a different picture to you? You know, we tend to see naturally. We tend to see physically or, or logically or sensually. And the danger in that is, is that we miss the lens of faith. We miss the lens of grace. We, we don't see things through the lens of, of new creation reality or through the promises of God or, or through the potential of the transforming power of God. If we only see through that natural eye. And the danger is that we see only what we can do and forget what God can do. Forget what God can do and only see what we can do. I don't know about you, but I, I've seen what I can do. And it is singularly unimpressive. <laughs> don't say amen. <laughs> Actually, you do say amen. I don't care. Having said that, I've seen a glimpse of what God can do. And that's a whole different story. Folks, we, we need to see through God's eyes. I've got three little pictures here that, that I show from time to time. You know, that's Mount Everest, okay? And I don't know about you, I'm not a climber, but that looks pretty scary and daunting to me. But then we go on to the next picture and we see a slightly different view. Doesn't look quite so scary from up there, does it? And then there's one more picture. There's a Mount Everest. No wonder Isaiah 55, God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Perhaps he could have said, my view is so much higher than yours. It's a famous example of this. Uh, if you remember back in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6, actually. And in this story, the, the Israelites are at war with the Arameans. It's usually the Philistines, I know, but on this occasion, it's the Arameans. And the king of Aram is absolutely convinced that, that there's a spy in his own camp because the Israelites always seem to be able to anticipate his next move. But actually, it, it proved to be the insight of the prophet Elisha. 
to the extent that, that one of the king's officers told him this, uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 12, Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So the king had identified his problem. So he sent his men to, to surround the city with the intent of, of flushing Elisha out. Now Elisha's servant, whose name was Gehazi, was, was understandably anxious seeing the enemy troops surrounding uh, the city. But here comes the famous bit. And this is 2 Kings 6, verse 16. Don't be afraid, Elisha answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. He prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The point is that Gehazi could only see through his natural eyes and was thus understandably frightened. But when God opens your eyes, you get to see a very different picture. Hence Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, enlighten the eyes of our heart so we can see what you see. Hence Elisha's prayer here, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Now, last week, I asked the question, what do you see? And we talked about how things look very different if you look through, and there were five different lenses, different views, different visions that I laid out. Things look very different. Your circumstances, your decisions, your relationships look very different through those different lenses. This week, slightly different question. This week, the question is, what do, what do we see? Talking about us as a church, as the people, as the children of God assembled. What do we see as blood-bought, Bible-believing, spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ, the risen, holy, and mighty one? What do we see? Or maybe what could we see? Or what should we see? Or indeed, what would we love to see? Last week, we talked about a, a preferred future, definition of vision. Vision is a preferred future. What is the preferred future that we see? What could things look like here if God had his way unimpeded? What does God want us to seek? What does God want us to, to prioritize? What, what soil does he want us to cultivate what seed would he have us sow? What fruit does he want us to grow? Now, a bit like that last week, all that looks very different depending on which of the five lenses you're looking through. And I'm sure you can all remember, but the, the five lenses were this. Number one was the lens of hindsight. Number two is tunnel vision. Number three was the status quo. And the number four was natural vision, and number five, supernatural vision. And the plan today is, is to take a, a look at a quick look at church through each of those lenses. 
and that it might explain at least in part why some of us see things a little differently. And there's no prize for guessing which of those five lenses we're aiming for. So work our way through. Number one, the first one is, is hindsight. To remind you what, what that is. Hindsight is, is what you see when you look back at something that's already happened, now you know what actually happened. If I knew then what I know now, what would I have done differently? That's hindsight. You know, and I pointed this out last week too, that there's two different ways that you can use this lens. The first one is to look back and say, we could have done this, and we could have done that and the other. They should have done this. They should have done that or the other. They got that wrong. They could have done that better. They missed that opportunity. That's what I called last week, using hindsight as a stick to beat rather than a tool to teach. The other way of looking at what's gone before, now we can see it that little bit more clearly, is that in all of that, God was at work. God has been molding and teaching and softening and refining and preparing us for a move of God. That all that has gone before has been preparation and consecration. It's been laying foundations. It's been softening the ground. It's been teaching lessons and growing character and gaining experience. It's been showing us what worked in our context and what didn't. And there we have two very different perspectives on hindsight, which produce two very different attitudes. Reminds me as I think about this of, of Joseph. You know, Joseph of the amazing Technicolor dream coat, who was tossed into a pit by his brothers and went through slavery and all sorts of extraordinary adventures. And when he came out of all of that and he met with his brothers face to face, he essentially told his brothers this, what would you see as you look back? What you see is the enemy intending harm. Genesis 55, 22. What I see. Jesus said, what I see is all the various ways that God was working good. But of course, Joseph was the victim in so much of all of that. But he saw through a different lens. We have Romans 8, 28, which we quote often, and we know that in all things, all those things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Here's the question. When you look through the lens of the past, are you looking for things to criticize, or are you praising God for lessons learned. You know, they say, don't you, they, that reflecting on the past will either make you bitter or better. And I'd say this, there's no credit for pointing out the imperfections of the past, because guess what? There were imperfections in the past. 
So don't spend valuable energy bemoaning the problem and therefore making it bigger. Choose to be part of the solution instead. I thought about this. How often, how often do we work through a process and it's only right at the end that we finally see what God was doing or God was saying or what God's been trying to show us all along? You know, I reckon that the inspiration comes as often in reflection as it does in preparation. That's why hindsight is such a powerful lens. If we use it constructively rather than destructively. And we talked about that in the context of your own personal lives last week. This week we're shining that lens at our corporate life. Okay, that was number one. Number two is, is tunnel vision. Tunnel vision is, is when you find yourself, for whatever reason, with narrowed or darkened or limited vision. All you can see is straight ahead of you. It's almost as though you're a racehorse wearing blinkers and thus have no peripheral vision. And if you've got no peripheral vision, you're, you're, missing, you're missing perspective and you're missing nuance and you can't see the context and you're struggling to find balance. Three quick thoughts about tunnel vision. Number one, tunnels are lonely. So often, you are the only person in that tunnel. Secondly, tunnels are dangerous. Tunnels are trying to drive you in directions you really want to go. So I really don't want to go. Perhaps unless you're driving a car, I don't know. And number three, tunnels are limiting. Tunnels are limiting. There is so much more out there. If only you could break out so you can see. So I, I'll be honest, I, I reckon that, that COVID has driven quite a few into a tunnel. And their view has turned inward and they become self-protective. They become a little self-reliant. But the walls around them have started to close in and they found themselves out of nowhere, really, standing in a tunnel. You know what? I get that. You know, this is said out of grace with a partial heart. Almost all of us faced a tunnel or two, at least at some point, over the last two years. But the danger of being in that tunnel is losing sight of the bigger picture. Losing sight of what God has for you. And in our context of losing sight of what God has for us. And of course, if you, if you lose sight of the bigger picture, then smaller and less significant issues can take on unrealistic and disproportionate importance. In that place, minors become majors. Personal preferences can become make or break. You can even become 
less tolerant, more opinionated, closed-hearted. There's great danger in in allowing worldly things like, like entitlement and consumerism to drive our thinking rather than the Christian values of of service and sacrifice and surrender. And then rather than it being about God's agenda, it can start in that tunnel becoming about yours. And you know what? In that place, you stop seeing what God wants and what God needs you to see. I'd say this, if you ever find yourself stuck in a tunnel, my advice would be to press pause and to pray. Ask God to bust your vision wide open again so once more you can see that bigger picture of what God is doing and what God wants to do, just as Elijah had to bust open Gehazi's view. Number three. Number three is the status quo. And have a little bit of fun with this one. Status quo states very simply, this is how it is. This is what it's like today. This is what it was like yesterday. And this is what we expect it to be like tomorrow. In this place, there's no expectation of change. And dare I say, we have forgotten that nothing is impossible with God, who Ephesians 3.20 tells us is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That sounds like the complete opposite of the status quo to me. I've always, I've always pictured in mind someone's first visit to a church. Maybe it's your first visit to church today. If it is, you're very welcome. This may be you. I think what happens is, is you come in and you see a snapshot and you make the assumption, probably quite reasonably, that this is what it's always been like and this is probably what it always will be like. And I guess it's quite understandable giving the, the, the limited frame of reference. But the reality is, as a church, we've come a long way and we still have a long way to go. I'm trying to illustrate this graphically for you. So I've got five graphs. Number one, Steve. So what we have here, okay, we have on the up axis, we have the life, health, and growth of a church, right? And on the the horizontal axis, we have, I just put before, now, and later. That might be yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It might be five years ago now and in five years' time, okay? And that's, that's that snapshot right there. This is where we are right now. I put it quite high. I was feeling generous. Okay, and then, then there's the status quo, the next graph. And here we go. I hope you can see that okay. There you have, just have a straight line. You know, in terms of the life and the health and the growth, the spiritual temperature of the church, you make that assumption that it's kind of always been like that, and it always will be. Next, next graph is, is the ideal view. This is what we call the straight line up and to the right. You know, we started there, and every day, every year, it gets a little bit better, and it's seamless and smooth and progression, and we end up way up there with this wonderful health, life, and growth. And, you know, we look at it right now and just confident that it's going to go flying in that direction. That's the ideal, up and to the right. This 
Next one is probably a little bit closer to the reality. <laughs> little up and down. <laughs> we, have some, we have some troughs and we have some valleys and we have some, hopefully there's a general progression upwards. And that probably is the reality of what we see in, in church life. Graph number five is COVID. Here we go. Up and down, all over the place, crazy, no patterns, up and down, all messed up. And that's probably what it's felt like. But the point is that the, the, the status quo assumes graph two. This is what it's like today here. This is what it was like yesterday. This is what we expect it to be like tomorrow. And I tell you what, that is certainly not the picture that I see in my dreams. Three quick thoughts about uh, status quo before we get into that. Number one, and I, I shared this one last week. That's why it's not on your handout. Till we are dissatisfied with the status quo, we are unlikely to make the sacrifices required to force the change we need to get us where we want to go. That applied for you personally last week, and it applies for, to us as a church this week. And of course, the problem is that the status quo can be comfortable and it can be familiar. And again, that is why we need that supernatural view. We need God to open our eyes to possibility. Number two, thought number two is, is it's, this is that insanity definition. It's fine to do what you've always done as long as you don't mind getting what you've always had. That's why we must keep asking questions. That's why we must stay open and humble and inquisitive and hungry. That's one of the things that worship is for. We had a great example this morning of God stirring that in our hearts as we worship. Thank you, guys and girls. And then number three is this leading out of comfort and for comfort will not get you where you long to go. Then they say that the greatest threat to the next success is the last one. Uh, a simplistic picture, but, but, but certainly in my mind's eye, a, a lot of, of denominations were formed and people got comfortable and built monuments and then fell asleep. You know, it's tempting to give in to the status quo, but folks, there is so much more. Okay, moving on, because you know where I'm headed here. Number four is natural vision. Natural vision is you can observe through your natural senses what's happening all around you. That's really useful. That's a great start. As we said last week, because it's, because it's physical and not spiritual, it lacks inspiration and it lacks discernment and it lacks foresight and therefore misses so much of what God wants us to see through that supernatural vision. Supernatural vision number five is the ability to see what God is seeing and to hear what God is saying and to discern what God is doing. It's the ability to see through the lens of grace and see through the lens of faith, and see uh, things through the lens of the promises of God. I'm going to juxtapose, because I love that word, natural vision and supernatural vision just for a minute. 
What if I'm only seeing church through natural vision and I'm missing the supernatural vision? A couple of scenarios that I kind of jumped up. Perhaps, perhaps a natural vision, what you're seeing with your natural eyes is, you know, I have some friends, sure, but this place isn't quite giving me the support I desire yet, that, that sense of family, that, that safety, that accountability. You know, that's a valid view, that that's what your natural vision is showing you right now. What are you seeing through your supernatural eyes? What if God gets a hold of that and turbo boosts it onto the next level? Didn't we already read that God can do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all we ask and think and imagine? What if God, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, develops around you some really transformative relationships? What if he digs some of those, those friendships really deep? So that you're able to serve together and pray together and shift some of that ground. Maybe that's what God wants you to see when Elijah prays over you, Lord, open their eyes. Maybe you see, maybe you see a church that's a bit stuck. Doesn't seem to be growing. The, the curve has flattened. It, it's a little frustrating. Maybe your natural eyes are telling you that there, there seem to be no more people here than there were last week. They seem to be no different than they were last year. That the people that you thought have moved in seem to have moved back out. What's the supernatural vision? Do I believe that the hand of God is upon the supernaturally birthed church? Did God not promise, I will build my church? Did he not tell us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? Do we not know that God has said that my word shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish the purpose for which it was sent? Do we not recognize that there's a sowing time and then there's a watering time before there's a harvest time? we keep tilling the soil, if we keep working the culture, if we keep loving people and trusting God, he will open doors and he will make our paths straight and he will honour his promises and he will fulfil his purposes because that is what God does. And so for me, it comes, it comes back to this, which of those different types of vision so we want to be influencing our lives and influencing our relationships, influencing our decisions, and dare I say, influencing our church. I'd say, number one, hopefully, hindsight has taught us a great deal. And we're all far wiser and better off for it. I say, number two, we must, we must all fight to resist that tunnel vision that suffocates expectation and loses sight of the bigger picture. Number three, if we, if we could see past status quo, if we could stop settling, if we could stop nesting, stop compromising for comfort. Number four, that, that, that natural vision is of some value. We do need to be aware of what's going on around us, but number five, the key is what is God showing us through that supernatural vision. 
Where is he leading us? What does he have for us? Which brings us nicely back around to that initial question. What does God have for us? What, what do we see? What is that preferred future? As a church, what should we be pursuing and pressing into and prioritizing? What environment should we be cultivating? What seed should we be planting to prepare the way for that dream of what could be and what should be? After all, the title for the day is What Do We See? And I'm going to finish with a little bit of what I see. I'm going to finish with a little bit of, of, of my dream, my, my understanding of our vision as a church. You know, folks, this is, this is what I see when I close my eyes and imagine what church could look like. I'll tell you what I see. I see a church totally abandoned in worship. I see people on their faces at the altar crying out to God in repentance and in expectation and in desperation. That's what I see. I see a people who are radically responsive to God. When God says jump, we reply, how high? In fact, we cannot respond quick enough. We cannot run fast enough. We cannot bow low enough. So radically responsive have we become to him. I'll tell you what I see. I see the transforming power of God unleashed. I see the lost being saved and the sick being healed and the captives being delivered. I see chains breaking and eyes opening and lives changing. I see rivers, thank you, amen. I'm glad some other people see this too. I see rivers of living water. In my dream, everyone is getting wet and people from all over the place are jumping into the river of God. In fact, they're queuing up for refreshing and for washing and for thirst quenching. Tell you what I see, I see fire. I see passion and zeal and hunger. I see multitudes drawn to the heat and the light of those sizzling flames. I see boldness, where the promises of God have taken over from the problems of man. I see the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation, not just in our services, but in our stories, in our conversations, in our connect groups, in our workplaces. And I tell you what, I see it in, our, in the young and the old, I see it in men and women and kids and youth, and I see it in regulars, and I see it in visitors. In summary, I see, when I close my eyes and when I dream, I see a move of God that nothing can stop and no one can resist. Do I see that with my natural eyes? A little. <laughs> Glimpses, we're not there yet for sure. But do I see it with my supernatural eyes? Absolutely. Do I get distracted from it from time to time? Sure. Is the enemy trying to bust in me that sense of expectation? No question. But when I start to imagine what the barn could look like if anything holding God back was removed, that's when it starts getting exciting to me. 
That's what's expressed, at least in part, in, in that vision banner up there, which we're going to look at afresh, I think, over the next couple of weeks. Okay, if the worship team would like to come forward and see you ready to go, chomping at the bit, which is great. Amen. So just a response, two questions to ask, two questions for you to take to the Lord. Question number one is through what lens are you looking at your church through right now? And how is that affecting you? Powerful question. Please take that to the Lord this morning. And then question number two is when you close your eyes and you dream, what do you see? What do you see? We had a leaders meeting on Monday. We asked that question, what do we see? It was so refreshing to see six people dreaming the same dreams. Something really powerful about that. And my prayer is that just as God is awakening this dream in me, that it'll awaken it in you. So two questions. What lens are you looking at church through right now and how is that affecting your view? What do you see when you close your eyes and dream?